So we're live from a hotel lobby. Lobby. Uh, this ho- hotel is so special because it was only launched around two weeks ago, so it's really fresh. Um, Your hotel was launched two weeks ago? <laughs> not my, <laughs> my hotel. Uh, I was just saying before, do you like this? I'll give it to you. <laughs> I um, know. How good is that? I'd meet you and then you'd like, hey, you have a hotel. You have a hotel. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the launch was fun. Um, Nassim and I, and Nassim was on your show a few weeks ago as well. Yes. Um, we came to the opening together and then did like a small tour of the of the rooms and the ensuites. Well, of this hotel? Yeah, because uh, it was an opening party, so they were like inviting people to join the tour groups. No kidding. Yeah, there you fun. go. And you have artwork here. So your artwork, if you could describe it, how would you describe it? Um, this specific series of works is called Acts of Holding Dance and I kind of developed it out of a residency with the Centre for Projection Art in 2020 um, and whilst I was making it I was reading some academic uh, research papers about dance and how the embodied uh, choreography and architecture of dance can be conveyed through digital mediums and so I was reading specifically a text from Anna MacDonald and also Andre Bulapecki, who both speak of dance as a process of realising mourning and realising things like composition of choreography can never exist in the same kind of fashion. And so therefore... Well, what do you mean? Well, so for example, if you choreograph a work, it can never really truly come back to the same points of performance because every day you're using live humans, which are going to be temperamental to change and maybe even their performances will be affected by weather or something. And so the, the work and the uh, like, the visual finale of the work can never really be experienced the same two nights in a row or in different settings. Um, so that kind of inspired me to think about how I could use digital um, editing softwares to kind of portray dance as a, a thing that leaves a history behind. And so I started with um, using this creative coding uh, I guess like uh, skit or sketch. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, just to like see what would happen if dance was interpolated with time, and then this effect came out. If um, dance was interpolated with time, what do you mean? Yeah. So what you see is a dancer dancing and improvising, but what they have done before is captured in a script-like manner, so it becomes. I guess a documentation of the dance that has passed. Yeah, and for like a visual representation, how I just think of that for anybody that hasn't like seen it, seen it, is like when you're playing Guitar Hero and then you go, you like have to hold down a key. It's like that, but it's like all the notes of like all the movements are all going down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like kind of a trap as well because as soon as your like body members touch the, the floor, it's recorded and so it could be a challenge to not have parts of yourself recorded. Mm. So how do you actually go about choosing, like, what kind of dances do you want? And do you, like, are you in charge of, like, the choreography of how they dance or is it, like, very freestyle collaboration with these people? I guess, like, this is an entry point to a really exciting boulder of this story was that the next development of this series of works that I've made uh, featured quite a lot of break dances and then it kind of... I uh, kept my interest to the point where I've finished a uh, dissertation about how we can represent dance through urban media interventions and especially breakdance because um, I found a fascination with using breakdance and breakdances because it shared a commonality with urban media art in the sense that 
breakdancers uh, needed to find an appropriate public space to use as their own. And so they were practicing this craft and this hyper-individualized craft, which is breakdancing, um, in certain locations that created a sense of placemaking in the neighborhoods that these dance styles were practiced in. And that's the exact same with um, like uh, urban screens because they have a quality that creates an ability to make a sense of place within a neighborhood. And you think of things like Times Square, yeah. and you know that as a very clear place. Because um, it's got all the urban screens, like yeah. the outdoor signage screens. Yeah, and you also think of maybe like Shinjuku and the big crossing. Like these are all tourist points to create a sense of place and a sense of like unified identity. And so kind of putting these two elements together, one is that breakdance is hyperlocal and even learning breakdance occurs from teacher to student. And so very much so certain cities does, uh, develop certain styles of dance which is why whenever I get commissions to do projections in certain cities, I'll try to insist on them considering using their local um, community of breakdancers. So, for example, I had two projects um, last year in September, and it was nice that they happened all together, so I can do just a one trip to the U.S. and come back. But um, they both were very much... Uh, the, both, both the city councils of um, like Cincinnati and Boston were very interested in commissioning and showing and showcasing their own breakdances, so they pointed me at a community of dancers that I then used and filmed. Used in a good way, really, not, not in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you utilised their skill. Yeah. And how did you even get into breakdance? Like, why? Oh, it was because... breakdancing? So one day, I was at a, uh, like a... A discussion also about dance or like a you know lecture talk series and I was introduced to someone called Dr. Rachel Gunn and she's yeah, going to be Rachel. you're a gun yeah um, she's going to be representing Australia for the 2024 um, Australian breakdance team so it's going to be so exciting and also she's a doctor so she's Dr. Gunn she's a Dr. Gunn that dances yeah what spins <laughs> like a pistol <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah she was the person who introduced me to Breakdance, and I was always so fascinated by the ways that breakdancers move, and also very attracted to the individuality of the actions. So I kind of just pursued first her community of breakdancers, and they were really, really, um, I guess, gracious to like welcome me into the community and also teach me some foundation foundation steps. But I also used them as, as in you started to learn how to breakdance yourself. Very, very, very minimally. So I'm very heavily ballet trained and influenced and then that moved on to contemporary so I feel like I'm still too long or, so, or like too uncoordinated for it. Yeah okay oh by the way I should probably introduce who you are. Yeah. Yeah okay. so you're listening to Watch Your Voyage and we have shout outs to Nassim for uh, connecting us. Wendy last name you. Yeah. Beautiful. Why you? And where, where what's your socials? Uh, it's very stupid, but it's on Instagram. It's Wendell's Mind Blowers because it's a Rick and Morty quote. But I should really. Dude, I actually that. love Rick and Morty. Well, uh, let's hope the world still loves it because I think my so. Name is associated with uh, an inside joke from that TV show. It's a good way to live life. I mean, that's what. Uh, yeah. What's her name? Ah, oh, the singer. Bear, I'm a bear. No, dun, 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 dun. you know the song? No. Uh, well, she's huge. Billy. What's her Instagram? No. It was like something, something avocado. And then she changed it. Billy Eilish, that's who it is. 
You know Billie Eilish? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. She used to have it like something, something avocado for like ages. And then her, like, I guess, managers and stuff like that were like, you've got to change it to your name. You're like a super sensational, like, across the world rock star girl. Not me. Not yet. No, I mean, uh, but yeah, I should change it. Um, it's just the, the thing is like, when do you is a very common name. So it's like, when do you projections taken? When do you art dance, but media art is taken. Everything yep. is taken. Yeah. Well, I look, I don't think when do you projections is the way. It sounds so? like, when do you welcome to the wonderful world of <laughs> when do you projections? It's all one. <laughs> <laughs> Just like going across one of those LED like sign screens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, so you're a ballet dancer yourself. And have you been doing that like your whole life, like since a little one? Um, well, I did kitty ballet. I guess that's kind of it. But um, there was a point where I was going to choose to either do full-time ballet school training or finish high school. And then my parents being very Asian parents were like, you have to finish high school, which at the time was really annoying for me. But afterwards, I was very, very happy with that. So it, you didn't get a B plus. You were getting A's, so they were allowed you to stay. Uh, <laughs> just finishing high school. It was like, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, so after that, I came and did um, university degree at University of Melbourne. Yeah, like the art school. Yeah, and then... I just finished a master's in interaction design and media art. Interact. What's interaction design? Well, that can be a really broad uh, subject. Like you can, they kind of give you starters to do um, more research and development in like front end web development or UX UI design or experience design. Yeah. Even product design, but uh, it's a very, uh, I guess, good course if you don't. If you want. I'm just going to put this on the table just so then I can keep track of the time. Okay. And then. Because every about 20 minutes, or no, 25, 30 minutes, I just got to restart that camera. That one. Oh, okay. Just so you know. So if I stand up and go do that, it's like I'm not just walking away from you and being like, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, what are you doing? (laughs) But, um, okay, cool. So you did your user experience and stuff like that. And did you, like, make websites and stuff like that as a part of that? I'm currently doing that as, like, my day job. I have a nine-to-five day job uh, at a software development company called Architecta. Yeah. Um, and what I'm doing at that company, um, one project has been we commissioned some dancers to come into the space and we got them to dance to a certain score. And for dance and choreography making scores are kind of invitations for um, the dancer to, I guess, like react to a prompt or like to just interpret a prompt but we gave these dancers a few scores and we recorded their movements and now I have their movements that I can now uh, motion capture into the 3D landscape and using their motions to do some 3D design and the 3D design is going to need to be like communicating about how dance can be a communicator or the need for data storage or like the need for backup and tracing histories. Wait you lost me. That's okay I expected that. But what do you mean? Like dance is a um, data storage. What? Yeah, so we can, ter- we can, I guess, communicate that data is something that needs storage systems through dance and through manipulated dance in a three D environment. Because it's digital. Um, well, 
there's a little bit of abstract uh, 3D design in the mix of we'll get the dancer's movements and then design it in a 3D way like the dancer is emitting particles or it's like a constant uh, shedding of something that then needs like a narrative of system to back up these data points. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll show you something. Yeah, please. It sounds... It's confusing. Yeah, but it is a little confusing. Um, yeah, the software development company that I work for is really, really, really great because they do have... Um, they have a really key attention or desire to integrate uh, tech and art in a kind of like unified space. Like if it's going to be making 3D works for their websites or 3D works that get developed into artifacts and products or something. Artifacts like, yeah, like dinosaurs? A, yeah, you can 3D print something and that can become a, like a token of the company or something like that. Oh, cool. So you work in 3D printing as well? Well, or you like making the renders so then people can 3D print things? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. Did you do a, you do all the cool? Not really, it's just obsessive, right? Like you get you're really obsessed with stuff that you're interested to. So, I mean. And you just love making like shapes and patterns and stuff like that on the computer? Um, it's are nice we, to look at. Are we going to find a news article about you making 3D rendered guns? <laughs> I don't think anyone would check me. They'll be like, "Oh, she's so cute. She's innocent. Let her go." <laughs> Little does you know, she has a militia of weapons, and she's been selling them <laughs> on the black market. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, that's but don't actually, quote. Don't quote her. It's actually, an idea. May I tell you off podcast because I don't want anyone to steal my idea. But something along that, those lines. A fully automatic weapon, or are we getting Maybe. into rocket launch territory? <laughs> Maybe. So what's like the so have you three D rendered a bunch of things yourself and like made things as a part of that? Um, mostly they've only been video outputs at the moment. But then video outputs, amazingly, you know, they can be commercialized and they can be sold as NFTs or as uh, or as acquired, like this hotel has done uh, to be like lobby space artworks. Or um, I feel like I did something recently. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, they can even be sold as prints as well. Oh, yeah, and you, like, take a still of it. Yeah, yeah. So there was a project that I was working on for, um, it's a festival called Blink Cincinnati, and, um, well, they suggested that we produce 50 stills of this work as an NFT and then, you know, giving it to the sponsors that supported the festival. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sweet. And tell me about NST, NFTs. Like, what, what do you see as the kind of, I guess, the breakthrough technology of it? Well, um, it's just like how any kind of art is traded, I guess. It's nice that NFTs offer itself um, as a solution for people to collect and trade video arts like they would collect and trade um, stills. Yeah, fair enough. Very simply put. Yeah. Yeah. I like the fact that, like, royalties are inbuilt into it. So from the financial perspective, I know that Snoop Dogg, he has actually got his catalogue and essentially like backed it up all onto NFT so then he can have his music go out through the NFT technology, I believe. That's so cool. Yeah, and he like owns all the masters for everything now wow. as a part of that. I'm not exactly sure on what he's done, but it sounds like he is made as an artist like completely own their stuff. So it's like instead of, I don't know, you sell like 50 pieces of your artwork and then somebody goes, oh, let's – 
resell it all and have like a show, but then you're not invited and you don't get any money for it, but it's like all your content creation, then it's like, oh, I'm left yeah. out. That can't happen anymore. Yeah. Yeah, so it, yeah, NFTs do offer a great solution in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And then back to like dance. I guess why, like, why do you love it? Well, I um, so has have been dancing for so long, but then wanting to make choreographic works in Australia at the moment is very depressing because you have to put in so much effort to get a work, uh, and e- even to get a decent work, but that might only have a showing season of maybe three days. So it's a lot of work for very minimal reward at the moment in the current Australian landscape. So what's happening at the moment, it's an effect called the miniscalization of dance because if you don't have so much funding to even hire other professionally trained dancers to be in your works, human resources, they, they would be the bulk of the budget. And so if you're discouraged or if you're unable to hire a lot of dancers, what you're going to do is you're going to miniscalize it to a point where you just ask yourself, like, I'm, like, I'm just going to make a solo work because that's easiest and I can have rehearsals whenever I want. But it does create more and more artifacts of dance choreographic works at the moment that are just very uh, like solo. Yeah. Oh, beauty. And then in terms of like the other, what other types of art have you created? Um, so mostly it has been video art and I'll also, um, I guess, be, at the moment I'm expanding into the realm of like 3D um, art for commercial purposes. So for example, um, selling uh, like like an instance of 3D art for lobby experiences yeah, things like that. Yeah, beauty. Yeah. And in terms of like you were saying before, you were like referencing these people and their ideas of, I guess, the, the uniqueness of every single body movement and all that. What are some of the other like philosophies behind like how you even think about your work? Yeah. Again, going back to using breakdancers, and how breakdance has come from a history where it was an effective tool to mitigate street violence and gang violence. But um, how it's really cool and really important is that breakdance has typically been segregated and like um, turned away from traditional places of dance practice, such as like studios or even you know theaters and such. And so by putting instances of breakdance and representing real communities of breakdance in public areas and in areas where dance can be broadcasted to a greater and more diverse crowd of audience. That's really exciting because it's almost like a reclaiming of city spaces because these dancers developed their style uh, as a response to the spaces that they were allowed to practice in. And so putting it up in a projection is just exciting to really claim that space and create a unified ownership of the city for the dancers. That is lit. When you were saying that, it just made me think of how on the subways in New York City that you have the dancers that, like, will use all the poles and do flips and stuff like that on the trains as a part of, like, this just, like, impromptu busking yeah. that they do. And it's just – it's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and also, I just uh, – when I – did two projects last year and really coincidentally both projects featured and were commissioned to have uh, breakdancers but both of the projects were also projected onto the Federal Reserve Bank buildings of those cities so then again breakdancers on Federal Reserve buildings it's creating such I guess like an exciting and glorifying moment 
for breakdancers by elevating what they look like and really showing these communities on a large scale. Yeah, that is pretty wild. I mean, like you wouldn't imagine in the 80s when breakdancers and the origins of hip-hop and like graffiti, yeah. you know, vandalism and all that and graffiti art is now on the Federal Reserve Building. I don't know if that's yeah. a, a sign of progress or a sign of like how far America's fallen in terms, yeah, you know, because obviously it's a beautiful art form. Yeah, then again as well, like for my research dissertation, um, I was thinking as well, like what happens in this sense, like are you kind of just commodifying the beauty that is breakdance because even places like Louis Vuitton and recently like Calvin Klein are using breakdancers to sell their products and it is like a growing trend in the popularity of breakdance. So because the breakdance will debut in the 2024 Olympics, there has been research papers published about how because of this gamification of breakdance, teachers are now teaching their students how to win and how to win is by, I guess, like participating mostly and learning exciting um, like power moves. Shout out to the hotel. They've been drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Power moves, like instead of, instead of you know things that maybe aren't as exciting, like footwork. Yeah. Okay. So instead of like as an expression of, I guess, emotion and feeling, it's like all right. Here's how we can stun the crowd. Yeah, because you win a cipher by measuring the reaction of the audience around you, um, and also like disses and. Oh, um, you diss. You know, like uh, the break. You diss and break dancing. Yeah. As in, like a, like yeah. a, you, is that in the version of like when you see it in a movie and they're like da 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 and they like outperform you and then the next person goes yeah. da 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 da. Yeah. How yeah. do you diss though? Like, what's an act of dissing in a break dance? Well, creativity is so uh, integral to break dancing, and teachers will teach learners of break dance to not just copy a movement but put your own taste upon it, and so you diss in break dance by producing more like ingenious or creative or unique um, movement patterns or even like freezes and ways. What's a freeze? Freezes when you're uh, in a set and then the breakdancer will like maybe do a pose um, just to accent time like you do. Oh, so you're like upside down you're like da-da and then you like hold it yeah. and then you like go quick out of it and do something else that's like in a completely different I guess like position of your body. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's the freeze, and it is used to accent the music because hip hop and breakdance, or the music and rap and rhythm and blues, those exist all in like the same cauldron of generation. Do you love hip hop as well then? Well, I kind of don't really. I don't know. I feel like I'm not able to say because I look like this. You know, I feel like people will say you don't understand. Hip-hop. Like, what are you talking about? You can understand hip hop. Well, I like I it. I love hip hop. It's like my favourite genre. Oh, that's exciting. I'm not going to be mad about that. I love it. It'll be like, you don't understand hip-hop. <laughs> yeah. So I just want to keep my head low. Okay, but you do love hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. Who do you listen to? Who do you like your favourites? Oh, it's okay. We don't even remember. Okay. You don't want to talk about who your favourite hip-hop artists are? Maybe. Okay, uh, that's all good. Um what about in like breakdancing world? Like, have you gone to like I don't know world champions? Well, I've event? been to. Um, uh, there's something that's run annually called the Red Bull BC One, and it's funded by Red Bull. And I've been to a few of those. Is that in Canada, so, BC? No, uh, Red Bull stands for. Um, yeah, well, I know breaking. Red Bull. Oh, BC stands for breaking what? 
Am I getting it right? It's a breakdance competition. It's a BC1. Sounds right. Yeah, it's like the F1, which is happening very soon in Melbourne. And it's no kidding. Too. Does it happen in like big warehouses? or The F1 yeah. or the Red Bull BC1. The Red Bull BC1. Um, in venues, like uh, there was one that was maybe in like church. In a church? Yeah. That's lit. That's fun. That is fun. And have you like been getting into it more? Well, I'll support my friends who are entering these battles, but I'm not at a point where I can do it myself. Dude, you're a little badass. No. It's like unexpected as fuck. No, I I really can't. You know what? Can you do the thing uh, where you like hold your body up and you like go spin your legs around and like, I'll have too little upper body strength. I'll be like, (laughs) (laughs) so you're just spinning on your head. Uh, cool. What kind of what other kinds of art are you like? Even in this digital style, are you like? How do you even go about planning your work? Um, like planning making them, or yeah. planning, or like just like a collection. Are you like, yeah. hey, I've written it all down, I figured it all out, and stuff like that, or are you like, it's very much like one piece of it at a time. Yeah. Um, depends on the commission. Sometimes they'll give you a pixel map and they'll say, like, we just have this building, can you work around it? And so uh, in that case, if you have the pixel map, you can create an animation from that and you basically create a work for the building itself. And so that is just, like, becomes a hyperlocal piece for that building. Um, but in other instances in commissions, sometimes they're just like, I just want, like, a horizontal or, like, a vertical video and then you just do that and give it to them. Um, it depends on whether the project wants the projection work to be mapped or not and like mapped to fit the stencil of a live building or just pasted onto, I guess, like a blank side of a wall. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so both systems, depending on what the commission is like, will determine how the work is made. Um, but it's going to be exciting because I told you before that I think my next one is going to be at Illuminate Adelaide in um, July. And for one of those, I'm submitting two pieces. One piece is just going to be a um, rendition of the previously made work and the other one is going to um, be a premiere and it's going to need to be animated in, I guess, it's going to be need to feature a story. Cool. Like a story as in you have, like. What kind of story? Well, what kind of story are you telling in a dance? Okay, this I've is seen, I haven't seen heaps of your work, right? I was just told about Nassim. Yeah. Nassim told me about you last night. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. So I've seen, like, your style. Yeah. But I haven't seen, like, heaps of it. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, this is exciting because projection, um, and this is a quote by someone who works at the Centre for Projection Art, Jay, his theory is that projection becomes the unifying Promethean light that early humans would gather around to tell stories and so projection needs to act like a fire for early humans to congregate around and so in that sense designing for public spaces is um, going to need to in my opinion embrace the fact that it's not going to be made for like uh, a postmodern lens it needs to be very much legible to pedestrian viewers and how you make a projection piece legible is that you invite them through storytelling and storytelling through like animation or even just showing the 
like very organic nature of dance to people is enough to be legible. So wait, so what kind of story would you be telling? Oh yeah, yeah, I've forgotten. Um, this one I haven't actually made it yet, so I'm gonna be excited, uh, or I am excited to sort of like construct the narrative that I want to follow for this new piece that I'm making. Um, but for the works that you've seen and the one that's in this hotel, the story behind this one is really just to show people what dance leaves behind and what movements um, are produced by dancers that I kind of recorded in the history of performing this segment of dance. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I get that. Also, let's quickly take a break and get that bottle of wine. Okay. We'll talk about dance. I love dancing. I actually, my friend Shabani, who by the time people hear this, he was on like one of the more recent podcasts and he's like a little creative director for like, oh, what are you, just creatives. He's a, he, he'll put on these events that just is like an amalgamation of all these different creative disciplines and you have this like really good time essentially. And he had wow. this one dancer that was like ballet influence and stuff like that and just you forget because, like, dance isn't a big part of our, like, regular everyday, like, art consumption, right? Or, like, you know, music is a regular one. TV shows is now a regular one. But, like, dance used to be way more regular because we'd go out to, like, events and theatres and stuff like that. And it just really reconnected me with just how powerful movement is because I literally was, like, this close to crying. And, like, I don't really do that. Wow. Yeah. This close? Why didn't you cry? <laughs> Uh, you know, probably just, I don't even know. Just, I just don't really cry. Oh, it's okay. It just doesn't come out. Although, I tell you what, World War movies, war movies get me. Oh. I will cry to a good war movie. Are you more, uh, like, emotional after drinking? Um, no. I'm drinking and a war movie and then you're like, uh. I haven't actually tried that combo, funnily enough. But Unbroken, if you, have you seen Unbroken? Um, so the trailers, I haven't seen it. Oh, dude, you got to watch it. Okay. It's wild. Like, the most phenomenal story of a dude that is in, like, a Japanese concentration camp and then is unbroken. Wow. Just like the title suggests. Just like the title suggests. <laughs> but I don't know, it's cool because he, he gets put through a lot and he's, like, keeps rising up but he cool. keeps getting put down. Oh my gosh. And he like holds his spirit. Oh. Wild. That's Yeah. It's good stuff. Shout out to the war. People <laughs> did their lives and you know. Oh, we can be man. here. Yeah. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, it's just crazy. So crazy. So, things. so crazy. So crazy. So crazy. All right. So in terms of like the type of story that you can tell is obviously pretty simple. No, not in a bad way, but like simple of idea of a narrative. So what other kind of ideas have you had float in your head yeah. that you, you, know, you may or may not create that you could see actually being able to um, be interpreted into your style? Yeah, really, really cool. I have been making hypothetical, um, like hyper-real renders of the works that I have in my mind. So I'm really, really wanting to move into anamorphic design, which is when you like you get a 3D character, you might do some dancing and then apply your dancing to this 3D character, but then make the 3D character look as if they're extending beyond a boundary within the projection screen. 
So oh, kind of you like mean like the 3D thing, yeah. like the, th- the huge 3D like posters and stuff? Yeah, please, yeah. please, come. The wine is showing up. What's up? Thank you. It's cool. Normally I don't have like a, a person like bringing wine during a podcast because I'm in like a little studio. So this is quite nice. Yeah, so in terms of the types of stories that you've been sketching for lack of a better term, Oh, yeah, sketching is good. Yeah. Good time to do because it all starts off from sketching as well because uh, when designing you do have to really, really um, take into consideration the perspective that it's going to be viewed from. So design it for maximum experience and design the right thing and then design the thing right. Thank you, Sophie. Yeah, we'll play card. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, it can't post Cheers. about like, having a free drink. No, we can't buzz around having a free drink. They're like, no, give us our money. <laughs> <laughs> but she did it in a very cute way. Very nice. So cute. Shout out to Sophie. The random bartender lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the sketches you've been playing with, like what kind of ideas? Because I'm just curious about what kind of stories okay, yeah. you could even like think of telling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not really a person that daydreams a lot. I'm kind of very much like impulsive on it in construction you know Tinkerbell and like that story of like uh, Neverland fairies and they get sorted into factions like you're a woodworker and you're like a winter fairy you're a summer fairy and stuff like that are you talking about Hunger Games? <laughs> no but anyways like what Tinkerbell story is it's in like it's Tinkerbell a, like as in Peter Pan Tinkerbell yeah it's an analogy so like you know people are very like uh, you know, love to tinker um, so yeah. Oh uh, yeah, okay. So I'll always start off with a sketch, um, but the stories that I really want to be saying is, um, like again, it has to appeal to like a basic human understanding of the self. And if we go into like philosophy of frontality and what it is to perform, then we can only assume that the character is only an embodiment of a known human emotion and entity. And so, don't make it too complicated. Um, when I no, no, it's good. Yeah. Uh, and so when designing, um, I'm currently designing the storyline, I'm still fleshing it out, but then um, I guess my design process is basically, it's kind of like a, just animation as well, just like frame by frame, like how this story is going to move into the other story, but then keeping in mind, um, designing it so that the motion feels organic. And, you know, like even just watching something visually that's moving, you can kind of empathize towards whether the movement feels organic or not. Mm. So just in animation kind of holding on to those values and constructing this narrative. Oh, we got the bucket as well. How good. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're all good. Thank you. Is that Burberry? No, no. It's uh, actually this wallet with a tiger on it. It um, I got it on my 21st birthday for myself from Gucci in New York on Fifth Avenue. Wow. I was like, wow, yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Oh. Like a badass, I was like, I'm buying Gucci wallet in New York. In oh my New gosh, York. yeah, well, I studied frequent. there. Wow, you studied there? What yeah, the? I did like a oh study gosh. abroad. That's so funny, well, not funny, but that's so cool. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> <You're> hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, what is your history? Or like, did you still go back there? Um, no, nah, I want to. I have yeah. two of my cousins actually work for like JP Morgan type banks doing like mergers and acquisitions and stuff like that. So they're full like finance bros. So I do want to go back and like celebrate their next birthday. And now that the world's like open back up, there's a possibility to do so. That's so exciting. I love New York, man. You been? It's so exciting. 
Well, I was really lucky last year. I went to New York twice for two different uh, commissions, and so that was really exciting. What kind of commissions? Well, the first commission that I uh, was able to get, um, it was in New York in February 2022, and it was to design some projections to market the launch of the Harden Volume 6 sneakers. Um, you know, what James, are those? Uh, James Harden, the NBA um, basketball player, he is a sponsored athlete by Adidas, and so Adidas sponsored me to do a projection installation featuring him as an iconic NBA player. That's sick. It was fun. And what did you do for it? Was um, it like him? Um, I uh, filmed him in a studio, and then the premise of this brief was that we needed to, I guess, like portray James Harden as an iconic and legendary player so he was doing all of his signature steps you know like the euro the step back and and everything and so they kind of used his movement and again like exaggerated his movement through um digital design and then projected that around Barclays center when the nets were playing like in the game the knicks yeah oh not in the game but around the game around the center that's sick. It was fun, and plus it was Adidas as well, and it was in New How York. did that even come about? Uh, Instagram. <laughs> what, you, they sent you a DMM? DM. So, yeah. yeah. DMM. Yeah, so I, I received first a DM message from the global um, brand manager for Adidas Basketball, and then it obviously does look really sketchy. And then he was like, so I sent an email, and then, you know, it's okay. After a few LinkedIn stalks, you find out he is actually the – global marketing manager, so it's okay to trust uh, this guy. What was that like for you? Um, it was kind of hard to believe, but exciting. I think now, though, I think, it, although it was really exciting to have that commission as a very, uh, like, early or, like, emerging artist, it was, like, I wish I could do it again because I know now that I can do it so much better. And they say, like, as an artist, if you're not embarrassed by the works that you did a year before, you know, that's a good sign yeah because it means like you're progressing in your skill set right yeah i just can't believe or not can't believe but i really did the best that i could have at that time but man if i had it again i'd do it a lot better fair enough well hopefully there's another chance has there been another chance now that you've done a collab um i'm not sure about another collab with uh Adidas. um i'm not sure about that but the second time i went to new york was last september and it was uh, again, like doing some projection with breakdances, so it was very exciting. So, all in all, New York is great. What was the the purpose of the pr- projection with breakdances in the second New York trip? It was kind of like a local city council um, kind of commission to highlight the breakers um, here about and just passing their images again on buildings. And you and so local city council of New York City invited you and like flew you out to go do your art with a bunch of local break dancers. Well, this one is actually in um, Cincinnati and Boston. Oh, so okay, yeah. It's kind of like an in-between thing, but a lot of the dancers that were um, featured, you know, have come from a, like a direct line of the New York breakdance lineage. And so that was really exciting to work with some people who identified as old school breakers and some people who really identified as um, like – very, very much like new and up and coming with breakdance. What's or the difference? Like, is there like a difference in style? Yeah, there's a difference in style. Uh, different moves as well. The moves have their times and their and their places in history. Um, how people view what breakdance is also differs differs greatly. 
it's exciting. In like what ways? Well, in like ways that they would just find important. So some breakers really do emphasize on storytelling and knowing where your movements came from. So for example, certain foundation steps, this came from the history of breakdancers doing this or this came as a preventative measure to like certain injuries and that's why we do this move instead of that move. Um, What's an example of that? Well, I need to ask my friend just to make it like a, make sure I'm getting the details right. But okay. now I've forgotten my line of thought. So you were saying about how you met and you were, you were explaining the difference between old school and new school breakdancing oh, styles. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, like again, with breakdance being taught by teacher to student, movements kind of involve out of each other and that's why it's important to use breakdancers from the city council that you're projecting onto because breakdance can form, you know, dialectic differences from one to another. So... Um, I think the way that they, like, the biggest way that they just differ from one another is, like, almost just, like, accents as well. It's just different styles, flavors, and ways of moving uh, or, or even, like, performing a certain step from other generations. Yeah, bet. And so when you were in New York, what did you, what'd you get up to outside uh, of, you know, doing the work? Um, when I went, it was a festival called October. <laughs> Architecture <laughs> October. <laughs> Yeah. It was fun. Um, I did some tours there. But you know, like, like walking tours? Yeah, like this building, la, 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 la. That building, la, 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 la. Yeah. Um, it was fun. I was only there for like a few days because my main work was in Boston at that time. Yeah. But. Um, and the trip before yeah. with Adidas though? Uh, yeah, the Adidas I was in New York for about two weeks before like around that projection uh, installation period. Um, but you know, you do what you do in New York. You do crazy things. You know? no, what kind of crazy things? Like did you coke. Do? No, no, no. Really. Um, <laughs> uh, you go like, to Bushwick. No, because there was too many people. I was too shy. Was Williamsburg. No, mainly just like Brooklyn and Manhattan. Yeah, Williamsburg is Brooklyn. Yeah, but I haven't been to Williamsburg though. Where'd you go in Brooklyn then? Yeah, the to get the F train and like the South part of that. Okay. Bet. Fun. Um, Shout out to New York. <laughs> Did you go to Bottega? Did you get any good sandwiches? Uh, they were good. Yeah. Man, I wish I was more of a foodie as well, though, because I, w- I was there and I was like, CVS food will do. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Blasphemy. It's okay. What did you love when you went there? Uh... I had some friends there, so we hung out a bunch. And, you know, it's good to hang out with friends there. Fair. Yeah. What did you do there? Did you make your millions? No, well, I was studying. So I just went to heaps and heaps of concerts. I think I went to probably like 40 concerts while I was there. And I got to see like Kanye, Mac Miller, Young Thug, 21 Savage, Schoolboy Q. The list goes on. That's so exciting. Oh, sick. I loved it. Because I I went there. Like, I chose New York because I was like, this is the birthplace of hip-hop, and I love Mm hip-hop. So it was either that or, like, South Africa, just because South Africa is cool. Nice. And I went there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What's the ring that you wear? Oh, it's like a family crest. Mm -hmm. So the family, as you, like, coming of age, you get to wear the ring. Wow. Do you come from a long, like, uh, history family-wise, like... Yeah, actually, my grandfather did, like, a family history thing and, like, dated back to, like, the 1300s in Scotland and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Did they specialise in certain 
area? I don't know. I haven't gone that deep into it, to be honest. That's amazing. Yeah, what about you? Do you have, like, what's your family heritage? Well, my, um, my last name in the way that it's spelled is Mongolian because we were wealthy enough to be able to afford a yurt. And so in our... What's a the, yurt? So, like, you know those Mongolian tents? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, the way that you write my last name is... This person owns a yurt, so beware. <laughs> so beware. Yeah. <laughs> beware, we got a yurt. We have a yurt. Don't fuck with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can survive the winter. Oh, uh, well, I got my lineage is a lot with like a, oh, sorry. Um, just like northeastern uh, region where the Mongolian Empire kind of did everything. So you're full Mongolian? Not full. Um, well, it would be like a mix. Between between like uh, Yurchin people who were like the um, people residing in the northern part of North Korea. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then that lineage of people with Han Chinese, which is middle cent- central part of China, and then also Mongolian heritage as well. Wow. Have but you been to all these places? No, <laughs> but my uh, my grandma is Manchurian, and so I think by default Manchurian does like embody all these three aspects of bloodline. Yeah. Have you been to Mongolia? No. Been China? Yeah, I haven't been in a while, really, because COVID and then everything happening there at the moment, kind of don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah, it's intense. Yeah. What, what do you know that's going on there? I don't know. <laughs> no, what are you, is it a secret? No, I actually don't know anything that's going on there. I've got okay. a few family members. I've met, a few of my family members are there. A lot of my family is in France, but... Um, I bet. Uh, pretty cool. I think they're doing well. I don't think there's been... Too many complications with following the COVID restrictions that happened uh, in China last year. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend. And she was like, when all the protests and stuff were going on because that leader died. Yo, it's heavy, like noisy in here. Sorry to the listeners for the like excess noise. Normally, we're in the studios, you know. This is run and gun. So I hope you're still listening and you haven't cut it off because it's too bad. But yeah, we'll fix it as much as we can. Do you have regular listeners who? Yeah. yeah, that's so great. It's cool. What about you? Have you found, do you have like, because I noticed you've got like, you know, a solid following growing. How, what's it been like interacting with that audience of your art lovers? Well, I've actually made a lot of really great friends through Instagram and through being in the same field of urban media design and installation and projection installation and such. Um but I'm also quite scared of Instagram because I'm not going to turn my back away from Instagram, but it's mostly the fact that successful ways of marketing yourself as a digital content creator is by showing your face and producing reels and producing very empathetic and consumable content, which I'm very shy with at the moment, so I kind of don't want to film my face. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, like standing in front of the camera and doing yeah, like... like setting a camera, camera up and then being like, this morning I woke up, day in the light of an artist who works in tech, you know, stuff like that. I think it'd be fun, but I, I don't know if I'm the front man for that kind of content. Fair. Well, you could always do overlay. That's like, true. Like as in like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you could just talk over it. That's true. Because that's how heaps of people do it. They show like cool shit going on, especially with art. Like I always like to think of the, like the ones that go hella viral, like the things with the swinging pots of like, Oh, yeah. Ah, look, the service. Sophie is just doing God's work. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know if God's work is providing us with liquor, but 
Tonight it is. Food and wine. Yeah, here we go. Would you like some popcorn? I'm okay at the moment. Cool. Um, yeah, so I think that, yeah, that's totally a valid point is that people, uh, we, we can be very flexible with how we produce content and produce content that people are watching and engaging with because around 99% of my commissions do come from Instagram, so I'm not going to turn my back away from it. Um, so I think I should maybe like refine what techniques I can use to better advertise myself on there. Yeah, bet. And do you use TikTok as well? Not really. TikTok is kind of a little bit more <laughs> on the back burner. Not yeah, really sure. not really on there at the moment. How come? Um, I'll watch stuff, it's fun. But I guess like again, uh, filming yourself and creating content from your activities. Um, I also don't think people would be really interested as well because I'm going to just be like at work and then I get home and then I do some stuff. I think it would be nice though. Maybe I should like make some stuff about what it's like to install on the day. That's important. And how to map on the day as well. That's also important. Yeah, okay. So it sounds like you're just trying to figure out what your flavor is in terms of content creation to share it out there to the world. Yeah. Yeah? Is that accurate? Yeah. I don't know what people want either because I'm not really like a very outgoing or very – I'm just a shy person. You're like introverted? Yeah. You spend a fair bit of time alone? I wish I had more time alone. (laughs) (laughs) No, not not to exclude you. It's just – yeah, it's good. I didn't even take it like that but that's funny. It's like I wish it was fucking here. I wish it was here. I'm good. Um, I feel like I've been less introverted now. I would have. Was a really, really annoying teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because you just wouldn't hang out with anybody. Uh, I think I just lacked the vocabulary to um, communicate what I was thinking and like what I wanted or things. You know, personality is predetermined, and the ways that you solve problems is then influenced by your upbringing. So. Yes. I think most of it. What do you think the balance of nature and nurture is? Man, it's hard. It's well, hard like, what's your vibe check? I don't know, like 50-50 or something. 50-50? Yeah, because um, yeah, I think that we'd be catastrophic as a species if all of our generations that follow us follow the same rules and considerations that we do because then we would just be a cyclical fractal systems that are very susceptible for collapse. Well, we have collapsed a fair few times. We definitely yeah. have done that. But, yeah, I reckon – look, I've done a bit of personal development and <laughs> anybody that listens – just anybody that listens regularly would have heard me say that exact same thing, like, at least 10 times now. Um, and what I've found is, like, the more you figure out why it is, like, what the deci- – so in the first seven years of life, you, like, usually make most of the decisions about, like – who you are and how you approach life. So you have like a winning formula and you have these different reactions to different things. So like how do you succeed? Like is it through charisma? Is it through like being introverted? Or is it I'm going to prove everybody, you know, I'm going to prove everybody wrong about me or whatever. And then you act in a certain way according to those like decisions you make about life. And most of those are made by the age of seven. And then you're just like gaining evidence in all these subconscious ways for those decisions you made, usually as an upset little kid. Mm. And the more you like go back and start to look at like what are the kind of big patterns in your life, 
and then you follow the steps back and you do the work to like figure out what was the actual point in time that you made that decision. When you figure that out and then you realize that perception and then the reality aren't necessarily like intertwined. Mm. Well, they're not intertwined. Like we have a perception of reality and reality is reality. Like I could go like that, like hit the pillow down, right? And you'd be like, oh, dude, this dude's fucking angry or he's crazy. But if you just look at it from like a pure sense of reality, it's like pillow, like I pick the pillow up and I put the pillow down. That's what happened. And when you like divide the two and about things that are like traumatic and stuff like that, you can like get liberated from the perception that you put onto that situation. It, no matter how justified you are by yourself, society, you know, whatever it is. And when you get to detach from it, you get to then choose like, okay, I can let that go, that perception go and be like, that's the reality. And then create the possibility of who it is that I want to be for myself and my life, no longer constrained by that because I know what that thing that was hindering me is or benefiting me because at the end of the day, we could be acting in, I don't know, let's say it's uh, let's say it's charisma as a simple one. It's like I could always be try to be charismatic but there's, there is a threshold in which that doesn't actually serve me. So to be able to have the knowledge of self and know the point in which that is no longer serving me so then I can put it aside and go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an alternative way of being to deal with what's in front of me as opposed to if I didn't know, then I couldn't have the self-consciousness in like the awareness of self, not self-consciousness, awareness of self to then be able to choose a different tact in my way of being in the present moment. Yeah, so... As well, like with art making, there's this theory of study that cosmologists have researched and hypothesized that within the first four seconds of exposure, um, someone will apply their understanding of the world to interpret what they're trying to decipher. So like even if you're, I guess, like confronted with an abstract piece of art within the first seconds, and maybe I think that it's sooner than four seconds, like maybe even milliseconds, that you see and you experience you're already trying and your brain is so good at trying to overcome challenges and create narratives that create, again, understanding. And so within those first four seconds is, I guess, a crucial point for, I guess, a narrative to start, or the artist to deliver a narrative to the engager. Mm. Yeah, so it's like your automatic pattern recognition just gets, just happens. Because that is fair. Like, I feel like a lot of people go, like, especially with modern art, because, like, more classical art is like painting a situation and you can like go, oh, yeah, I get it. That's the situation and this is its place in history and these are the different emotions and situations that they've implanted inside of that and the symbolism and stuff, whereas people may go with modern art like, what the fuck's this mean? Mm. Very easily. Yeah. So what's like, I guess, your reaction to that? Yeah, so that's why that's kind of like a, uh, a point that I would determine as like legible art and illegible art because... Public art, like, or the ways that I'm kind of outletting my art at the moment is public art. And by saying um, legibility of this art piece, it just means that from initial engaging, like from initial exposure to an audience, um, is this work going to, I guess, like invite curiosity to form or is it going to exclude viewers from 
feeling like they understand the piece enough to stay around. Yeah, okay. So you're like trying to make it relatable from the get-go. Yeah, I To think something so. that is like a cross-cultural narrative, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that yeah. is my goal. Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> so inside of that, how does do you play with like nostalgia? I feel like not really at the moment. I'm kind of just playing with movement and even like through animation, the movement of certain things that create a sense of like momentum in the person who views it. So, yeah, I don't think I'm playing with that um, nostalgia at the moment. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Do you play with nostalgia? Oh, oh, look, a little bit in conversations I do. Yeah. I play with nostalgia, like, especially with friends and stuff. Like, oh, remember that thing we did? But that's, like, more of a personalised nostalgia as opposed to, like, a collective nostalgia. You know, like, I'm not referencing Disney movies all the time and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess so. And... Yeah, I guess one of the premises of this series of works as well, the Acts of Holding Dance works that I've made, has been surrounded by, I guess, creating um, a remembrance or like a, a holding of, of the past. Maybe that is where the nostalgia can come in. What do you mean a holding of, of the past? Well, just because the dance is recorded and at the end of the breakers' dance sets, I can create a script or a print of the whole dance that they had performed or yeah okay yeah fair fair i get you no that's cool and then in terms of like do you given that you have so many skills around like creating things digitally is there any other like mediums digital Um, mediums that you want to play with i want to play with so many (laughs) yeah like what yeah like a stuff that you use to make immersive art you know like floor to ceiling LED screens with reflective floors and ceilings so then you can create like this massive infinity room um, Dude, that I'll show sick. you I'll show you a render that I did um, yeah please yeah I'm just gonna zoom this out a little bit as well so here's the immersive oh my concept God. That came up. okay so what I'm looking at now is like that script style in like a monochromatic style and the floor is reflective so it's like reflecting of the floor and looks like a waterfall essentially yeah that's very very cool so you wait you made that uh i made that in blender so it actually doesn't exist in real life dude it's hyper doesn't even need to there's a person there yeah and then i oh and the middle wall (gasps) is a mirror too i made this one as well oh my fucking hell this one has a little like (laughs) i can see some mistakes in it but Fair. Well, I mean, you're probably hyper-perfectionist about all this, right? Dude, that is so cool. It's mesmerizing. You're like full. This is NFT style heavy, but like it's your own style of it. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I just like – I, and I was saying this in Nassim last night actually because she was showing me some cool stuff. I don't know if this is something she wants me to share, so I won't share too much about it. But she got this piece of art. Yeah. It has dancing involved in it. And then I was like, yo, if you were to make this into an NFT and what you've done there is you have both like, I guess like you have two versions of movement. Like you have this going on right in front of you and it's still there, but then you're moving this way as well. And when you have those like two movements happening at the same time, 
I feel for the digital world, it just makes it so much more like, like immersive. Right. Um, it took so long to just experiment with the motion of the camera. So the camera is the thing that's like capturing where your eye line is and what that video is showing you, the viewer. Mm-hmm. But I built this whole scene. There were several characters. You end up only seeing about one character. But it's a, I called it a stair gallery. But the, I think 50% of this work you don't see because it's obscured behind the camera. You're only seeing like a small pan of what it was. And I kind of kept it like that just because every other motion felt too inorganic. Um, this one is simple enough to really allow the user to understand where they're situated in this hypothetical space. So why do you want to make these things into reality and not just like go heavy on just full digital renders of it? Well, I'm actually outputting it like this so that I can show potential clients what the works could be installed as and like how they can curate a space so that this effect comes out. Because I have so many ideas in my mind and um, to actually make that happen as a high fidelity prototype would just be so uh, outworldly at the moment. Um, it wouldn't exist as a prototype, rather it would kind of jump the gun and exist as like a full installation and I don't really have that um, capacity to build this with my own money at the moment. So Fair. show it as a hypothetical render for potential clients to maybe you know, be interested in, in that for their lobby spaces or for any kind of experience space. I mean, look, if you were just like as an example for the stuff that you have with the floor to ceiling and reflective and all that, I can just like imagine having a really cool like high-end function in a space that, with that going on. Yeah, it's going to be – it has been um, invited for certain functions um, and it's exciting because there's a sportswear brand that I'm collaborating with called Prunez and they're launching a new store in Shoreditch in April and I'm going to be – Shoreditch like England? Yeah, Shoreditch. Um, I've been there. London. We went out. Wow. We partied. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so that, sh- that shop's going to be uh, launching in April and I'll do something like this for them. Yeah. As it's in exciting. like that style with the floor-to-ceiling and reflective. Probably not floor-to-ceiling, but definitely projection mapping onto the shop front space. Yeah, cool. It'll be fun. That's lit. And have you seen, you know, like the NFTs or the digital art where it like goes into like a painting and it keeps going in and in and in yeah. and in. Like what other, have you thought about doing stuff like that with your style? Well, like what other versions of that yeah. are you with? So at the moment my, my attention is kind of more and more to produce works that are curated for lobby spaces. Um, and I guess like that kind of fractal movement of, of the artworks hasn't really been my focus at the moment just because I've been mainly thinking about how the artwork can be outputted as projection on public space or um, acquired for lobby spaces. Speaking of lobby space, this is such a noisy space. I'm yeah. sorry, guys. There's a lot of noise going on, isn't there? Can you hear it as well? Yeah, but it's yeah. okay. Um, it's annoying, but it's okay. All right, well, I mean, apologies. not annoying. Annoying for, like, you know, listeners maybe. Not annoying for me. I'm happy to talk over it, but... Yeah, just yell over it. (laughs) (laughs) No, okay, so yeah, you're trying to make money, essentially, and you're trying to collaborate with real-world businesses. Why not? I I have nothing against making money. Like, you go, girl. Make that money. Man, I had a very good financial year last year, but um, that's just a way, man. 
Like you can make money with art. It's good to know. Like artists need to know they can make money. Yeah, know how to market. Marketability is important, but yeah, definitely know how to sell your works and negotiate the price. How have you gone about that? Like what's that been like for you, that process of Um, doing it? Yeah, so like anyone, it's all a learning process. But lately I have been, I guess, producing a scope of labor as well including like how long it really takes to make this work because clients also want to pay you uh for the i guess like the high-end experience that you will bring to them or the product that you'll bring to them and the thing is like um these works i render them on my uh, pc that i built but that pc is like if it if something's rendering on there i can't render anything else so it does occupy time and space Predominantly, if I'm rendering something, I can't then game on it as well. So it's uh, occupying time. So you do have to put like a scope of labor just to say and point out how long it takes to make this work and calculate that. Are you selling based on hours or are you just putting that into context for them? Into context, yeah. Definitely into context is important just to understand that these things do take a long time to render out. Mm. Um, Because obviously the Picasso vibe is like, you know, that story of like took him 40 seconds to... draw the thing yeah. on the napkin that was perfect and then he and then she goes why how can you charge like ten thousand for this or whatever you're trying to charge at the time he's like because it took me 30 years to be able to do this in 40 seconds yeah yeah it's true i mean yeah you would have spent heaps time learning how to do this oh like and so much time failing as well but you know in the design in the design world and design experiences you've got to fail fast and fail often i think every every discipline that applies and how have you, like, gone with overcoming that yourself? Uh, overcoming failure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Man, you just don't look at yourself in the mirror for a while and <laughs> make sure that you practice and be diligent in your practice to the point where you're able to look into your own eyes and say it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, in other words, all right. So, sometimes you've avoided... Have you had some days where you're just like, I fucked up? And then I'm you're not like, not. I'm not touching this computer for a week. You and then you come back to it and you're like, oh, I still love you though. Come here, computer. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my, yeah if you have the chance as like any kind of creator, definitely invest in your tools because the first build that I worked on was like just had eight gigabyte, uh, gigabytes of RAM and that took one render would take around 62 hours to finish Ooh. and I upgraded that as soon as I had enough money to invest in computer parts, and this is when I built my PC. But it took... Tell us the specs. What's, your, what's the specs yeah, of your PC? Specs. I'm going to upgrade. Uh, at the moment, I'm only on 32 gigs of RAM, but I'm going to upgrade that. Um, I can also... Um, I have like a 360 GeForce RAW graphics card. I think that's enough for me. I don't think I need to upgrade that, but I'm on an i7, which is okay. But at the moment, what I'm mostly needing is um, random access memory space. So I think I might upgrade that soon because I've got the slots for it. But the thing is... Uh, that's why you asked about memory. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so I started off as a, on an 8 gig, um, gigabytes of RAM system and that took 62 hours to render something. But to render the same thing on this PC took 10 minutes. Ten minutes. Yeah, that's wild. That reminds me. Did you hear about the the was it the quad computing? 
Uh, quantum. That's it. Quantum computing. Did you see that thing about quantum computing? Well, I didn't really um, remember or like. I, I don't think it got my attention. All right. So essentially, what they've said, what Google came out saying was that what would take the best supercomputer in the world ten thousand years to render, if you will, takes the quantum computer three minutes and twenty seconds. Wow. That's wild. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. It's a lot quicker. That is a lot quicker. <laughs> by a lot. Yeah, by a lot. By like yeah. a lot, a lot. So. Yeah, so uh, invest in your tools when you can. Yes, and social credit system coming to a city near you. <laughs> all right, that's all right. We get political. Um, well, I do. I fuck around, find out. Okay. Who knows? I might be blacklisted from China at this point. I don't know. <laughs> Luckily, I went there in 2019. You did? Yeah, I had a good time. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah. I went to like a textile expert because I was looking at doing a clothing brand. Yeah. And then I was like, this is a lot. I don't think I'm at the time was currently cut out to do what it took as a single man band to make a clothing brand. What do you need? How many men do you need? <sighs> I didn't quantify it, but definitely more than one. There's a lot going on. Like, you could do it, but it's like to do it and be good at it and consistently bring out clothes mm. and new designs and stuff, like, it's a grind. Yeah, and, and you, can't, you can't expect to land on perfection your first try as well. So as a designer, you do need to, like, iterate and constantly iterate through practice and diligence to your practice to create something. Exactly. So, and yeah. you're good at that. No, I, I can be better. Um, I kind of acknowledge in myself that I could be a lot better, but... I mean, that's just the way, though, isn't it? The way it is, yeah. That's just the way. Like, you, the way I look at it is, like, you're going to do things and get better. (laughs) But you have to just do life. You have to do life. And wherever you're at, you got to say, fuck it. I'm going to do it. I know I'm not going to love it, but I'm going to do it because I like it. And then just keep doing it and it'll be better. Like, I went on Sky News a few times. First time, I was internally freaking out. Oh, no. Like, I was, like, I have forgotten to breathe. Like, I literally thought I was going to, like, my brain was going to explode because I got, like, a headache instantly. It was wild. But anyway, the next few times I did it and I've, like, calmed out. Calmed down a lot more in terms of just, like, being on, like, live TV and stuff. And even after doing, like, all these podcasts and, like, actually being on live radio, it was just different for me. So yeah. I was, like, I'm on TV. And uh-huh. I don't know. I'm, like, oh, my God. Do I look Okay. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It wasn't even, there was like no thought. It was just like trying to get it right. Mm. And I think that's such a crippling thing for like anybody creating something, whether it be a piece of art, whether it be a performance on live TV, whether it be like running a race, like that performance anxiety is real. Yeah. And it only gets solved through just doing it. Right. Because everything again is relative, you know, like relative experiences that become more and more familiar the more times you do practice it you know, just everything yeah exactly exactly you put it very very acutely just then yeah i don't know i'm excited for i'm excited to see you more and more on sky news then. well do you tune into sky news first well, now i will like, <laughs> obviously i'll like stumble across then. it you know from um flicking but then uh yeah so i'm excited to see more I'm actually pretty keen for my next bit. Which one's your next bit? Well, because I think, all right, so have you seen the growing movement about people 
like wanting to get off grid and just say fuck society because it's kind of like it seems like it's crashing around us in so many ways and becoming way more authoritarian in so many ways whether it be smart cities whether it be the rise of digital ids social credit systems like looks it. like the us dollar is going to collapse like there's just so much going on yeah. that it's like i want to get out i want that tradition and it doesn't mean i need to be like conservative in the old school paradigm of like oh i'm angry with how you're doing your life like i don't care how people want to do their life like if you be how you want to be as long as it doesn't inflict my like physical life like do what you want to do as an adult but like i want to be able to get out and just have like that absolute freedom of like space and time and like be with my friends be with family and just like have that peace and but also like that security of like you know whether it be like i've grown my food or yeah. my food's grown from eating the grass well that is like a lot of the favorite types of content that i'm watching at the moment like in instagram reels and in tiktok and stuff people who are just like more and more living off grid growing their own food and like making calcium fertilizer out of bones that they've previously made stock out of you know are you an off grid girl is that what you're saying no i i'm not but i like watching people who are it's cool isn't it it's so cool it's cool what do you love about it well like the i guess like integration again of the like using every aspect of the animal or the plant that you can and also just like respecting what you're ingesting through labor it took you to maybe like you know, get this source of calories or, or not i don't know it's just very considered and it's nice to watch mm. you know even people who are like butchering their own chickens that they raised from 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 the time that they were the egg or or in eggs yeah or as eggs and then i think that's so cool you know confront your food face on punch them yeah it's wholesome like yeah, i'm willing to kill it i'm willing to raise it yeah 8 weeks and you can get a fully fledged meat chicken. Really? Yeah. Without like hormone boosters and stuff? No. No, eight like weeks. it has to have it. 8 weeks is the recommendation um of time it takes to get a good sized bird. There you a go. A good sized bird. <laughs> <laughs> well, that took you less than 8 minutes. 8 8 weeks. <laughs> What? <laughs> what? <laughs> One photo a day for eight weeks. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, fuck it out. You're funny. Um, you're very quirky. I tell you that. You are very quirky. Oh, I disagree. What do you mean you do? How would you disagree? Oh, I don't want to be like labeled as quirky or anything. Well, okay. Well, how would you label your humor then? Perfectly. Normal. All right, fine. Or you be normal. Yes. I'm. I'm gonna be weird. Okay. I have to accept that I'm a bit of a weird human. That I do things like I don't really take into regard as much as possible. Like I, this is like a challenge for me to like that I take on is like to say fuck off to the social paradigms that I may be expected to take in a considered manner. Like. Not based on just like doing it because it's different, but doing it things because I've actually thought about like that I fucks with doing this. And a simple uh, 
oh my god, what are they doing in this building? Like lumberjacking. Um, is in a restaurant, right? You go to school and for 13 years you're told to raise your hand for anything that you want or need or have a question about. And then you become an adult and you go to a restaurant and then they say it's rude to raise your hand in the restaurant. Mm. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> why? Like that doesn't make sense. So I like to think about why I'm doing things as much as possible. And sometimes, you know, I get caught in the, in the way it's done. But I like to as much as possible think and be considered about how I'm trying to operate in my life and not just be restricted by, oh, it's just because it's done this way. Because, no, that's how Nazi Germany happens on, like, a mass, big, grim scale. Yeah. Is you just go along with this is the way it's done. Like, no, I want to be thoughtful. Right. And, again, like, everything is relative. And even the act of genocide occurs in eight stages and, like, eight stages of gradual decline and, like, degrading a certain type of human to a not-human. What are these eight stages? Well, um, there's a piece of writing that is called The Eight Stages of Genocide and you can find it by just Googling it. I'm not remembering so clearly what the eight stages are, but one of the stages was dehumanising a human to a certain form of animal. So the Jewish people were called rats by the Germans. And um, uh, there's another case, I'm so sorry, I've forgotten. But beginning. The message is like things become relative or things are relative that certain things do become normalized. Yeah. Over time. Exactly. Exactly. And do you find as an artist that you challenge, like what are you challenged given that like being an artist, this is my mentality about it, is that like it's your role as like just an artist to question shit and then put your questioning of whatever it may be whatever the thing you're trying to question is, into some kind of, like, expression. Yeah. Well, I think so. I feel like, you know, artworks that stand the test of time are the ones that provoke what is currently, like, socioeconomical um, things that can be made a comment from or... um, Do you think just social economic? I don't think it's just social economic. No, I don't think... It can be spiritual. Because, like, there's things about God, right? And that's not necessarily, like, socio-economical. Yeah, no, right? Yeah, I saw that you were, actually. I just noticed it. And you you looked at it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to grab it. (laughs) But things that challenge. um, Challenge? Challenge. Challenge what? What are you trying to challenge? I'm also not a fighter, though, Hamish. So, like, I kind of try to keep my head down as much as possible. Yeah, but, like, what does it mean to be a fighter? Like, I don't think all fights have to be, like, like, you're, I mean, you're an introvert, right? And we have the internet, so it's, like, there's heaps of digital warriors that are just, like, mm. fighting without fighting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> there's there's no reality to the fight. There's no conflict. It's just, like, I'll turn my notifications off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll just turn it off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Haha, <laughs> the fight's gone. <laughs> There's no backlash. Man, uh, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't have notifications. Just too much. But you wouldn't get any kind of criticism, surely. Like, well, yeah, I don't think you're doing have, anything to criticize. Oh, and then I'll show my face and I'll be like, oh, no, you were, you're so mean. And they'll be like, oh, no, sweetheart, I don't criticize you anymore. 
<laughs> what kind of criticisms have you gotten? I have gotten criticism from my works saying that um, the abstraction of dance takes away from the organicness of that is moving. And so like they think that digitizing dance and recording it in this way, uh, projecting it for mass consumption or even just like massive viewership, just projecting it on like above a highway or something is, I guess, like degrading dance to something that can be commercialized. That's like saying don't play music when you're in the car on a highway. Yeah, I know. I saw, <laughs> like, I, I you only of... must keep it in the <laughs> opera theatre, I tell you. I tell you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what would be hypothetically played in a car if playing music outside of the opera was... Uh, I'm going to go for the low-hanging fruit here and say engine noise. Engine noise. <laughs> <laughs> music is sinful. And then like on a car. Dude, like, I mean, there's so much... Music over the ages that has been considered sinful. Like Ray yeah. Charles. Do you know Ray Charles? Yeah. I yeah. love Ray Charles. Like, it's like and a guilt. his many it's like wives. I just love it. Yeah, shout out Ray Charles. I got a woman. And his many wives. Yes. <laughs> just many wives. Um, shout out to the Mormons. Do the, the Mormon communities know that you're shouting out to them? <laughs> I don't know. Victoria. I think you should tell them. Should t- you should you should do it. <laughs> should do a wall. Shout out to the Mormons. Shout out to Mormons. Oh my god! I'd get so much support from the Mormon community. They would love you. Uh, They'd be like, dude, uh, you, I don't know. They don't have viewership. Uh, subs- I don't know subscribership to the, our religion. It's gone up. Yeah, yay, through this cute Australian Asian girl all the way in Australia, woo. Shout out to the Mormons. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what they practice. Break Besides dance. that they have, they practice breakdance. And if they practice breakdance, I would cordially invite them to my studio in which I can make works from their movements. Mormon breakdancing by <laughs> Wendy Yu. That's so exciting. <laughs> Let's make it happen. Amish breakdancing. Mm. I, I went, when I was in America, they always kept calling me, are you Hamish? Really? Because I didn't know the name Hamish. Oh. I just didn't know it. Wait, where were you traveling? Well, when I studied in New York and like went around and stuff, they just, I would say my name's Hamish and they go, Hamish? Is your name Hamish? Like, <laughs> American. Yeah. They didn't have the name Hamish. Like it's not a common name whatsoever. Really? Like it's very England and then now more, you know, Australian as well. Oh, wow. But, like, even here, I've had people go, like, oh, wow, I haven't, that's a oh, not a normal name, but I feel like it isn't that not normal. I mean, like, yeah, we, we grew up around Hamish Plague, and that's, like, a big... What? What's Hamish Plague? He's a... Am I a plague? No, it's a, he's a radio presenter. Maybe in Sydney. Maybe. Okay. What's well Stanel? That... What Stanel? Channel? <laughs> I don't know. He made a big impact. We didn't even know what channel it was. He's got a personal brand, but it's not for the radio. <laughs> but, you know, Hamish is a nice name, you know. Does it come from somewhere else? Because, like, my name, which is Wendy, is a nickname of a nickname. So Wendy is, like, the nickname of Gwen, which is the nickname of Gwendolyn. Like, Really? Yeah. So does, is, is Hamish what? a nickname of a nickname? I don't know. My mum named me after a horse she had. Oh, women who love horses is beautiful. Yeah. And, or people who love horses. They'll never oh, love it anything. Does tend, it's or. definitely more predominantly women. Well, I will cool. say that. I, will, I know that actually because well, in the Australian or South Australian community, my, my auntie, she loves fucking horses. 
She loves them. And then she says, on the terms of the competition level of things, it's like 90% women. And then what you find in the top level competition, it tends to be the men that make it to like the – and this is for high jumping. Like the, you know when they jump real high yeah. over like a course and stuff? It just tends to be mostly men because the men get to the point where they, the horses jump higher on average. Really? I wonder yeah. why. Um, look, from what I have heard – it's because men are historically and time, yeah, historically more prone to taking risk. Okay, no, this is really funny because, like, proportionally, the number of offsprings that are birthed by women, there are a bit, like, there's just a few percentages, um, increments more males born to women than females. Mm-hmm. But by the times that these next generation babies become uh, or enter an age of sexual maturity, because the men are more daring and the boys are more daring, um, there becomes, I guess, like more of an equilibrium in the range of people to pair up and copulate once more. Just because men have an instinctual desire to kill themselves. And to kill very, themselves? Well, no, in very daring ways. Also, can Oh, you right, right, yeah. Well, dude, I'm that. Like, I am a fucking daredevil... But also, oh my, that sounds so cringe. Anyway, I am though. Like, I've jumped out of planes, jumped off bridges. Like, I do mountain bike riding, snowboarding. Oh, nice. Like, I got this scar adrenaline. from uh, e-scooting. <laughs> Yo, did you drop off some stairs or something, or you just hit a curb? It's just uh, adjusting my sunglasses. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't do the one hand. Yeah, in You're a very like, oh, like, I failed. Very bougie city girl kind of way. Yeah, no. <laughs> but I will. also, like, can you imagine the amount of fermentation, fermented foods that we get just because someone dared someone else to try it? Like a soggy piece of like wheat porridge. Someone was like, "I dare you to bake it and eat it," and now we have bread. Dude, that so would have been how it happened. Yeah, and like the thing is, we don't really record the amount of people who died of uh, incorrect fermentation processes. True, we do not do that. All right, by the way, we don't have much battery left, so we've got to end it soon, but not yet. That's so sad. Yeah, that's right. It's the Wendy You Show. That's it. It's the Wendy You Show. What's your voyage? Uh, but, yeah, yes. in terms of, like, the, I guess the differences of what we're talking about between masculine and feminine energy and its capacity to be more daring, and now we're talking about how food was even, like, figured out how to be fermented because... One more poetic analogy of, like, fermented foods. Uh, this was told by a nun who I watched in a documentary she was saying like the processes and like what you get out of fermented foods is such a metaphoric interpretation of what you will get out of life because there is so much flavor that you unlock through death death or you there's so much more experiences that you will unlock through death and so that's just an indicator that you shouldn't fear death itself because like fermented foods flavor comes from death degrading degrading and like rotting Thing. Yeah, well, I mean, wine, right? Yeah. Like what we're drinking right now, like that had to ferment yeah. for a long time. Yeah, and it had to die as well. Yeah. It's dead to be alive in a different way. Mm. What is death? Beautiful. Do our souls pass on? So, Terry Pratchett, did you ever read Terry Pratchett? No. When he died, it was stipulated in his will that he wanted all of his hard drives, which he had, uh, he was a writer and he was like, a prolific writer of young adult fiction. Um, and so he had all of his material, his hard drives, and in his death he requested that they be run over by a bulldozer. 
I was thinking about like what I was thinking about that when you were setting up as like um, what would I do with like my digital materiality that remains on this earth because people say that projection art is great because it embodies a sense of dematerialization like it doesn't really exist um, after it's done it's like existing in the moment yeah but you obviously flick the off switch and it's gone yeah obviously people take pictures they upload it and that creates a, a presence on the world or in the world. But you know, what would happen with my hard drives? With my hard drives and me when I die? What would hard happen with your hard drives when you die? What would you think? Let it out. I'm dead. I'm dead. Who knows? It could. I oh, fuck knows. It could be the Marcus Aurelius of the future. I don't know. Depends how life goes. I do want to be on this planet and change the course of history in a significant way because I was alive. That's the, the overarching big goal I have, and in a positive way. That's a good goal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to just let it out and be transparent. And that's why I'm doing – like, it's part of the reason I'm doing a podcast. Like, like, sometimes it is confrontational to be – like, to knowingly be, like, pretty damn transparent. Like, the fact that I'm, like, having conversations and sharing shit that, you know – I'm sharing with strangers. <laughs> right. It's, it can be confrontational, but I go, you know what? I hope that I'm having a greater act of service than, than not because I think people can learn things from me and not to say that I'm like better than yeah. people, but like again, I have perspectives that I've thought about. As that as well, like, do you receive a criticism? Or, or? No, I'm hoping to get a little more to be honest. So if you don't like me, let me know. They say that you need like 15% haters. So then the, uh, what is it, 75% of your followers or people that are loyal can then stand up for you and then you'll grow. That's nice. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It does make sense. So haters, I'm okay with it. I get it's a part of the natural ecosystem. Yeah. Can't have too much. Good thing. You have to have a balance. I mean, look, history, I mean, look, I think Michael Jackson was too loved, right? I don't agree, but he was too loved and now he's getting his fair share of hate. Right. But But it's ignorant. No, no. I fucking love Michael. <laughs> Fuck oh, no. that shit. No. I love Michael Jackson. He's my favourite. He's my favourite artist of all time. That's great. Um, he was the swingiest Jackson. Mm-hmm. Who's your favourite artist? And cross mediums. Wow. Or like, who's Art. your top five, dead or alive? This Ukrainian guy, um, you should find him just so I like make sure I'm pronouncing it right. But he makes like a uh, 3D art that is so experiential and they're just massive and they like engulf you in experience. Did you know Rio Chiakada as well? He's one of my favorite. Rio Chiakada? Yeah. No, I don't know Rio Chiakada. Well, he. He bases a lot of his works on cosmology and space and he does a lot of work through creative coding um, and he builds these immersive, like massive uh, works that fill out LED screens that are like 100 meter long LED screens and you go into like an immersive experience by him and he designs the sounds as well but he designs like sounds that are just so like bone shattering. Dude, that's huge. 100 meter LED screens. Yeah, this one is in uh, the ICC. Um, Center in Sydney. Uh, we have a hundred meter LED screens in Sydney. Yeah, it's wow. Actually, it's yeah, it's cool. Um, it's, it's at a place. It's called Dancers Alley, 
And this was really, really interesting because when the new ICC conference, uh, International Centre, International Conference Centre of mm-hmm. Sydney, um, there were some reflective surfaces, and what was found that what was found was that a lot of dance groups started to practice you know, street dance and hip hop and like different types of dancing in front of these reflective surfaces, and so this alley was then redubbed Dancers Alley just because it just congregated so many people who practiced yeah because they could like suss themselves out while they're dancing yeah, and like and work on the technique solo yeah i remember when i, I do that in the shower it's good Works imagine well. if a shower was the size of icc like the alleyway 100 meter long shower everybody's nice. dance techniques would be better mm, <laughs> communal bathing is so beautiful so nice yeah, communal like, grooming yeah like budapest i went to like a, the bath over there and did that it's cool I went to Japan recently, and I went to an onsen. And What's an onsen? Onsen is like a like a bathhouse or like a like natural mineral pools of water that you kind of like sit and bathe in. And they're like spas, like kind of. Are they hot? Cold? Yeah, yeah, like a hot pool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so similar to Budapest, like the thermal baths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got minerals in them. They're you know, good for your body to absorb. Yeah, but wait, what? What kind of minerals? Like magnesium. True. Stuff. True. Yeah, it was very, really nice. Was it like... My naked body. Oh, no. Everybody was naked? Yeah. And they call it naked friendships as well because once you're naked and bathing together, you just can't tell what economic class they belong to. Breaker, breaker. We're about to to do a heist in this building, I tell you. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> I love heist movies. Dude, have you seen Money Heist? Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's so fun. So good. And it's like, you watch something like uh, Ocean's Eleven or something, and you're like, there's so many flaws in this plan, but I still love it. Oh, legit. I'll go along with it. Yeah. You could be caught at this stage or this stage or this stage. You're not good heist. But you didn't. Yeah, but you did. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hollywood. Yay. <laughs> Brad Pitt. Wow. Dude, Brad Pitt's got good movies. I feel like Brad Pitt is like, he's in a lot of movies now, but like his 90s movies, it makes sense why he keeps getting more movies. Right. Because his movies in the 90s, so so good. Both my parents are actors and they went to like uh, school to be an actor. My grandma was an actor as well. Um, And my mum was saying that like Brad Pitt. Hollywood? No, uh, like Chinese uh, cinematic history. Um, But... My mum was saying, like, Brad Pitt, you know what he does really well is he attracts the camera. So even if the camera is filming him from behind, he's, like, moving his face so that the camera can get his, like, profile silhouette and therefore the viewers of the scene are still attracted to looking at him. And that's, like, such a... uh, She was saying, or my mum was saying that this is, like, a technique or a way that, uh, you know, even just, like, backup characters can just do to, like, really just, like... Force the camera to land on their face and stay on their face for a bit longer. No kidding. All right, so that's what you need doing your TikTok reels. Oh my gosh! I you start doing from behind, but like just like moving your head a little bit, so they're like, oh, I see the profile, but like you don't, sh- you don't have to like be in front of the camera. You're like in front of it, but it's the behind. Oh, that's so teased. <laughs> oh my God, only fans can see my own face, like my whole face. <laughs> it's happening. I've well, seen. Um, it's, I've seen some of those like Instagrams where like. An OnlyFans girl will, like, have the phone in front of her face every single time just on her Instagram feed. 
Really? As you like scroll through, I'm not like actively looking at OnlyFans. I subscribe to no OnlyFans for the record. <laughs> Will not. Bad. Don't want to support it. your community. Nah, fuck that shit. <laughs> fuck that shit. It's degradation of society. <laughs> Shout out to those women getting their money, but like they make a lot of money. They man. can, some do, but some just show their body, get not much, and then feel embarrassed for the rest of their lives. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, like we used to, it used to be like a big thing. Yeah. You know, I don't agree with necessarily the oversexualization of just like everyday humans. Yeah, I guess so. But there's so much lucrative market for it. Like someone is look, willing to pay. Get your to money. Get your money. And feet, it, it'd be different because it's like, oh, you want to wake to my feet? Fucking go ahead. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's feet, uh, whatever. I don't, I don't know. I just, yeah, I'm a little more conservative in that fashion. That's okay. We'll do whatever you want. Man. I'm just not going to marry that. That's okay. Yeah, but you can do it. Uh, You're an adult. If, you know, shouts to OnlyFans people. I'm not even you. on, like, TikTok or anything. I'm definitely not going to. <laughs> I'm too shy. <laughs> Fair. However, there is a lot of women that are like that vein, not to say vein, but like that vein of human that is shy but still does all that. That's true. Who knows? I'm not trying to convince you. (laughs) Hmm. But it is a fact. Well, I'm trying to buy a house. Not really, but how do I make money (laughs) fast? Why are you laughing, Hamish? Amish? What? What's wrong? I'm just going to film. Oh, it. fuck. Okay. Here, smile. <laughs> it's loading. Camera's loading. Sorry, it's very odd. Still loading. Oh, but it, fast, fast. It's rendering. I've missed the moment. You've missed the moment. Anyway, it's all right. It's recorded on a different camera. The whole thing. Yay. <laughs> have you now? Well, yeah, that one. Don't worry, I got it. All right, fine. You got it. <laughs> Shout outs. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I actually would love to... Like, Start an OnlyFans. <laughs> well, I want to buy a drone. You wanna, yeah. What's it got to do with OnlyFans? Or are you just segueing? Segueing? Well, like, maybe go. I can get some money to buy a drone with an OnlyFans account. But uh, projections and drone footage, amazing. True. I once did this installation on the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston and it was like you can't film you can't film the uh, like the Cell Bank, that little, little spice of the <laughs> story, you know. Cell <laughs> <laughs> Central Bank of America with it. Just <laughs> just <laughs> the panel. <laughs> it was a Wednesday. <laughs> oh just as you do. Uh, and you just yeah you weren't allowed to well I wasn't allowed to take photos of the rooftop or you know it's, it's a security risk but if you have your drone and like film it from certain angles then you can yeah the heist yes <laughs> it all comes back to that if you were uh, in a heist environment or like you know people who could help you crack into any kind of mainframe what would you like to steal what would I like to steal. I mean, it can be money. If you choose money, I have a follow-up question for you. Look, I mean, t- money's tempting, but I don't feel like like you'd want money as money. Like you'd want money as a, as a material thing. So like gold would be better than money. I uh, yeah, that's I but because I could be like, ha ha, you sold all our reserves. You've crashed our dollar. <laughs> it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing. Okay, but, but yeah, I think information. 
Like, I think information would be the thing to, like, gather. Wow, so Odin gave up an eye for wisdom. Would you give up an eye for wisdom? Yeah, probably. I mean, I do want my eyes, so I'd rather give up nothing. Can you imagine his depth perception as well, like punching someone and misses? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I'm not cruising on the daily, right. getting in fights. Oh, well, you know, some it was ver- different back in those times. Some verbal jousts, I will say, some verbal jousts. So, again, like, again, uh, if you were given just a million dollars but you couldn't invest, what would you buy or how would you use up? money and you only had it for one day as well one day Whoa, that's a it's a fun question i mean what do you mean you couldn't invest like there's so many things you could like not invest in that are investments like well, you yeah. get some great watches well then that's a yeah you know like you get some great watches going i mean you wouldn't want to go to a place because most of your time would be going there i yeah that, that kind of question i don't want to like a that question does push you to think creatively for example Personally, I would buy gold, right, and then you can trade it the next day. <laughs> but that's an investment. Yeah, but you know, investing a uh, not in the. I will buy the comet. I will Bring buy it to me. I will gold. Something that it will appreciate. Did you know that value. a comet has like? Or an Hermes bag. Huh? Buy an Hermes bag, but then you have to be invited to buy one, and I don't think you can you get achieve away. that in then you get a away. day. Oh, well, look, depends. If you're paying a million dollars for the one bag, maybe they would say, you know what, fuck it. <laughs> fuck you're the wait list. Me. You're paying a million dollars for a $20,000 bag. Let's go. Up front. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. They'd fly it to you, maybe. Maybe. Mm, yeah. So you got one day. You only have one day. I'm on the phone to the global marketing manager. Give me the bag. I need Northwest <laughs> to paint it. <laughs> Northwest to paint. Did you see that TikTok when North is uh, like makeup uh, has makeup on and looks like Kanye and Kim's at the background still doing like Bound Two? I didn't see the original. I saw an article about it and was like, <laughs> "Why are people even upset about fucking yeah, Kanye's but- daughter playing Kanye?" Like, it's great. It's funny. Yeah, I, I'm sure it would be. But, like, why would people be upset about Kanye's daughter mimicking Kanye? It's like, it's 50% Kanye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's some silly funny. people. Some silly, some silly. Who would you love to collaborate with inside of the digital art world? Right. And what have you seen collaborations look like in the digital art world? That's interesting. Well... Um, you know, like art is a market, right? So you, you go on Instagram and you can't go on Instagram without seeing another Rafiq and or work, you know, the Turkish artist who makes these massive installations of visualised data. Yeah? Yeah. You're a little um, quiet, so I just turned it up a bit. I'm sorry. But I think that would be my dream collaboration just because he has attracted such a market of people who are interested in buying his works like his works as nfts sell for millions of dollars what's his art like um pretty sure you would have seen him like he's very popular at the moment um i feel like our feeds are different yeah i guess so i have to acknowledge that my feed is not what the world sees it's chickens Chickens. And their gestation periods. Eight weeks. And artists. 
Yeah. Um, works are like this. Oh my god, that's fucking wild! It's like a mountainous region that's like fluid in motion, like you would see the ocean. Fluid in motion, like you would see the ocean. And now it's turning to like the glaciers, like fluid in motion, like the ocean. That's pretty wild. That's pretty cool. Look at wow. my stickers. What do you mean? Look at your stick. Oh, in the back of your phone. So cute. That's so your style <laughs> of expression. <laughs> Indifference. Yeah. Apathy. <laughs> no, I just like that. That thing. You know, it's like, like that cat, vibe. The cat is you know, being eaten by the shark, but it's like, don't worry, just accept your fate. Everything's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I did mushrooms. I did mushrooms. It's okay. <laughs> I get it. I'll be back. <laughs> no, it's okay. I didn't really go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't remember this lifetime while I'm living it. Uh, just uh, go for flow, man. No problems. Just be quiet and <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> what do you think happens after we die? Everything. Well, what do you mean? Don't everything? be too eager. You know the egg theory. You know the egg. Well, the chicken or the egg. Well, the egg theory, um, the story of the egg, is that once people do die, mm-hmm. they. Have a, a brief introduction with their creator, and their creator reveals to themselves that they are in gestation at the moment, and so you're going to be reincarnated to a person disregarding when uh, the lineage of time is. So you can be reincarnated as someone in time that existed before you had died, so back in time. And what this gestation period is, is that God is training you as an infant of one of its own to fully mature into a point where you have lived every life in this world. So you and I are the same facet of soul or like part of the soul. And I guess like our understanding of what it is to be alive needs to be gestated in this world so that we understand every possibility of human experience. Mm. I have heard this theory actually. I have heard this. And I fucking love it. Mm. And it's just so like oneness togetherness, but on like a like exemplary manner in terms of like, well, if I've already lived like I there is a level of which letting go, forgiveness, love and all that can just like transcend beyond like time and space in the sense of like, well, I've been everyone. I've been Hitler. And I yeah. you know, I've been JFK, I've been... Everywhere, everywhere. You've been it all. Like, I've been the mountain. Oh, yeah. I've been that grain of sand. You have, and... Like, and uh, not necessarily that I'm sentient as that grain of sand. Not sure, doubt it. But my soul has lived a whole, I don't know, period of time, if you will. Yeah. As a grain of sand. Right. Yeah. But I have been told, do you believe in, like, psychics and, like... I mean, you obviously believe in past lives if you're espousing these theories. Well, just espousing them and entertaining them. Sometimes it's nice to listen to, like, readings or, like, you know, things because it's like, hmm, it's nice to have someone dedicate their spare time towards you. So it's like, my Scorpios. And you're like, oh, okay, I can be your Scorpio. Just take care of me, okay. <laughs> talk, like, talk about how I'm, I'm the best. You know? tell, me, tell me how wonderful I am. Tell please. me how wonderful I am. Uh, great. <laughs> Sometimes it's a nice. It's, it's, it's I love it. Uh, look, uh, am I a narcissist? If that's the case, 
I'll be okay, fine. I mean, <laughs> Call me what you want. <laughs> measurement of narcissist becomes like how much you love hearing about your star sign. <laughs> you know my Mars. <laughs> oh my God. Do, do you know, know what me? Mars ascending I am? <laughs> you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> Can you guess it? Can you guess it? <laughs> Take the time. That's okay. <laughs> what, are, what are you? <laughs> what are you? I don't know. You're asking? Yeah. That, okay. So, wait, 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 what do you think I am? I don't know. Oh, wait, wait. I'm not really so into it. Sometimes I just hear, listen to it as a form of like self reassurance. It's gonna be okay. She says it's gonna be okay. <laughs> Do you have co-star? What's that? You don't know what co-star is? No. So is that's it? the most happening place of the astrology world. I tell you. Is it not NFTs? It's not NFTs, not yet. You could make it into an NFT, though. I'm sure you, you could find a way. If there's anybody that's gonna find a way. You are among the several thousand that could. <laughs> uh, it feels like a very like backhanded compliment. <laughs> a little bit, but there is only a few thousand. At least you're not everybody. Oh, what is it? All right, so, okay, so it is powered by NASA, like data or something like that, of the astrological data, I believe, and it will. You put your time, date of birth, whatnot, and it will give you your full like star chart. And the cool thing is is you can add people on it and then it will give you like a full compatibility report based on each of your star signs, based on like the same planets. Oh, yeah. So it's like, oh, your sun risings are happy face, sad face or okay. And then we'll give you a description and then we'll do it for each of the planets in our solar system. Oh, that's really cool. It's fun. It's fun. It is fun. I love relationships. They're so tragic, but so great to experience. But you know... Shouts to Shakespeare. (laughs) Amy Tan, who is uh, an American-Asian writer, and she wrote the book The Joy Luck Club, which is like like a well-known piece by now. But she she used to work for like... um, uh, I forgot which specific one it was, but she she used to work as a writer for a newspaper publishing entity and she would just make up the astrology wasn't a soul trader no i don't think she was but she would just make it up <laughs> she just make up the stars yeah. oh that's classic so she's funny. getting paid and she's getting paid yeah, yeah, yeah. good on her but yes on her. relationships very fun different wrong times and all the oscillations of time and your existence in it is very do you believe in like a true love no what do you believe in around the subject of love? I believe in companionship. So it's like companionship in this phase of your life or like this this moment where your understanding of the world is X, Y, Z. It's nice to have companionship in later age. I'm not really so strict that uh, strict on the fact that my companion in later age needs to be like purely celibate to me. You know? mm. That is my view. What about you? Oh, look, I've... I've I've definitely thought about the different styles. Like, obviously, there's polygamy, there's monogamy, and there's probably other amies. There's polyandry where it's the woman who takes on multiple husbands, but... Yeah, fuck that. I'm not about that. <laughs> I'm definitely not about that shit. Interestingly, <laughs> like, polyandry is practiced by the, like, people who live in the mountainous ranges of Tibet and Nepal, and it's basically where one female marries into a family of all of the brothers 
So oh my you will have one wife shared between you and your brothers and you are all considered the father of her children. No way. <laughs> that is fucking wild. <laughs> it's are a you way to me? I'm not it's Shit. a way to conserve resources and to mitigate the dispute of land. They must be proper poor. Well, fuck that. I'm not going to say that, but you can assume. <laughs> Tell my lord. Fuck that. Polyandry. That's hectic. Okay, yeah. Look, I like the idea of monogamy. I get that it has its ups and downs, its challenges. I also think there's spiritual growth in, like, the discipline that it takes and going through those stages of ups and downs and actually, like, being able to work it out and the discipline of, like, having that be functional and, like, re-falling in love and that kind of thing. Like, that is, like, a a beautiful experience in its own. I get polygamy... um, in that, like, we are capable of loving more than one person because we definitely are, and we're definitely more than capable that having physical interaction with more than one person at one time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, all right, in terms of spiritually, what's the best for like my trajectory in life of, you know, what I'm here to do? What's the best yeah. outfit? I'm so not sure. I have to figure that out. I'm currently I I not in it consider myself like having a few uh mentors in the art world and a few of them who have children you know like what's it like raising a child whilst you're an artist and want to do residencies or international residen- residencies and such and uh, it becomes a lot more difficult for artists to raise children whilst going on international residencies so like yeah, makes case, sense yeah. it's hard to do any career yeah where you true. have to be somewhere else yeah, and I feel like I was going to raise that point to um, slot into what you were saying before, but I kind of forgot the train of thought. You're talking about international residencies and what it is like as a woman to raise kids and you were saying your mentors said yeah, something. Um, about the difficulties of like raising kids during residencies. I guess hold, yeah. that, hold a little closer because you're rather quiet. I am. Maybe we can move on from the thought because I've forgotten how it slots into your previous day. Yeah, okay, no worries. Um, yeah, so it's one of those things. That there's no necessarily right way to do life in terms of like what is the absolute right because I think morality is is in large part a social construct but is has become a social construct for like legitimate reasons of progression and like technologically technological society building traits that seem to work over long periods of time hence why you have like certain religions prosper over time and others die out is because as a tool for technology and civilization building they just work in terms of a longevity standard and the ones that don't well they've died so that's why like judaism Mm -hmm. while you look at it in our modern way of thinking and looking at life like oh my god that's so constrained da 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 but it's like their societies still work, prosper, function on like most levels of uh, indicators, if you will, of survival. Yeah. 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 yeah it's true. And also like it's another challenge as well when you're adapting to generations that I guess come from these kinds of conflicts. So for example, like in China at the moment there is I guess uh, an interesting area of 
discussion, which is that the Chinese people have always embraced uh, Confucianism and the values that are indicated through this method of belief. But then how are we going to apply Confucianism to modern ways of living, you know, possibly like non-monogamous relationships, like how do you apply Confucianism to them? And Confucianism is a lot to do with son respecting father, daughter respecting mother, daughter respecting husband, or like, you know, systems of respect in that way. Um, and I guess yeah, I, that's the Confucianism. <laughs> he is you and he's like, my boy. Oh, my guy. <laughs> my guy. I'm long gone. <laughs> but my guy here. Yeah, so it's an interesting area of study. It really does like bring into attention other factors within sociability, such as the formation of groups of people called the leftover women, who are women over the age of 27 who are left unmarried. And these include women who are, I guess, like fo- focused on their careers and also like you know, um, very p- independent financially, who aren't really necessarily finding or wanting to find um, like a monogamous partner for procreation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's big in Japan. Yeah, the doomsday clock for Japan ever ticks. <laughs> oh, yo. Isn't that wild that there are actual societies that are like depopulating themselves? Right. Yeah. But have yeah. you heard of the 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 rat experiment? Which one? There's so many. <laughs> so there was one that they created this like I think it was rats or mouse. They use mouse, right? Um, and it was a mouse experiment where they created like the perfect mouse colony habitat going on, and they found after. Was it 150 days or 350 days? Either or, it was like they could pinpoint and they did this experiment multiple times. The point in time in which the social fabric of the mouse colony would break down and then over time from that pinpoint time and it would happen at the same point in time in these kind of like utopian mouse societies that procreation would stop because survival was not a matter. So then you had all these social constructs that like overtook the need for procreation and then the distance between men and women just got greater and greater in the mouse. And then they actually died out because of that. Uh, That's so funny because, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, I do, girl. I did bachelor of business major marketing. I feel like if these mice were humans, they're like indulging in art. and You can only indulge in art once you have food, water, shelter, all sorted out. Oh, hell yeah. You need a level of stability for sure. Yeah. And so all of these mice, they're like artists, philosophers, and they're like, you know what? Fucking is not for me. Yeah, right? Because like it's a necessity. Like if we really look at it like – for civilization building, it is a necessity just as much as water. Right. And also remembering again, like evolution um, and nature doesn't really care about what you choose to spend your recreational time doing. It, it really only cares about you if you do procreate. Yeah from, the, yeah. from that like Charles Dickens point of view of like evolution theory. Yes. Yeah. That's where we're a little different because we fuck for fun. I know, so fun. One of those weird species. Yeah. Shout out to the dolphins. Shout out <laughs> they to get the, us. <laughs> um, the uh, 
You better say something weird, animal, aren't you? You better say some real weird insect or something. Yeah, the apes that are in that genus of uh, like monkeys that um, have recreational copulation. Alrighty. The I don't know what they are. I'm only like I think blanking. it's human Homo sapien. Did you know there was like over thirteen types of Homo? Right. Yeah. Sapien? And Homo sapiens bred oh. with Neanderthals. That's because like, and we find that out because we share the same pubic lice as Neanderthals. Is that how we found out? Well, a large pubic lice is how we found What the found fuck? Out. So we were nesting with Neanderthals and bedding them and we share similar pubic lice. That's such a random way to find out. It's so funny. Yeah. It's funny. Okay. <laughs> they got crabs too. <laughs> I'll give you your crab. If you mind, we can share. Our crabs are not the same. They're not the same, man. You and me. Oh Lord! Um, yeah, Very so fun. shout outs to our other human type <laughs> people. We killed them all, though. Isn't Pubic that lice or Neanderthals? Well, no, there homos, was right? just homos, mm. and not in the sexual orientation of sucking dick, but <laughs> in the orientation of human yeah. types. Yeah, no, yeah, it's just just cause for correction, <laughs> in case you're wondering. History is amazing. Uh, Michael Jackson. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you for listening to Watch Your Voyage. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we, we... So many things. It's only like a very small capsulation of everything that I want to express through sound, word, excrement and tears. Everything. We'll, we'll see if we can get the video of the excrement <laughs> flying around later as a form of communication. <laughs> I need to express. <laughs> That's my art. Oh, Lord. That actually is is that people's art? Have oh, you I ever mean, seen an exhibit about someone's excrement? I don't doubt that there aren't those existences. Like, all that I say is I hope it's in perspex. Perspex. Like a perspex box. Oh, fun. Well, it would smell otherwise. It would yeah. not be a pleasant experience to go suss the out the art. But that could be part of it, right? I only had pineapples for 28 days. (laughs) (laughs) Everything. This is the pineapple excrement exhibition. (laughs) I don't know why I'm doing like a German voice, but I feel like there's some shit the Germans would do. I feel like pineapple affects the taste of different types of excrement, not the brown stuff that we're talking about. Uh, I know what you're saying. Yes. Fiber. I've heard this. Hard, leafy. Dark green legumes. Alrighty, you are just, you're a very fun person. Good on you. I'm not sure if you're portrayed enough, you know, like, what's the populace of your viewers? What's the populace? They're mostly <laughs> men, to be honest. That's okay. Yeah. They're mostly men. Shout outs to the dudes that listen to this. <laughs> and, you know, there are some women. Shout outs to you too. Shout outs to the guys as well. Thanks for coming. Thanks for doing this very spontaneous talk. Nah, no worries. Honestly, when do you check oh. her out on the socials? Could you explain or say the words of your social media again so people can find you? I guess my largest uh, point of congregation is Instagram. In Instagram, it's Wendell's Mind Blowers. Wendell's? Mind Blowers. Mind Blowers. But my name is also <laughs> Wendy. <laughs> 
<laughs> you said you can handle your alcohol, but I think there's the No, I can. They Am might I... have a cause for concern. No, no, I'm fine. I can drive. <laughs> no, good stuff. All right. So that's where you can find Wendy Yu. She's got exciting things. I'm sure she has some wild collaborations in the future and some other stories to share in her art and on other podcasts. So follow her journey. She's a cool chick, as you have mm. found that I've found. So Podcasts are fun. You they know, are this fun. This has been a really nice podcast. Thank you. Discussion to have. Yes. It's good fun. All right. Thanks for listening. Peace out. <laughs>